0: Welcome to Fiscal One-on-One. This Iowa Legislative Services Agency audio program consists of interviews conducted by the Fiscal Services Division staff. Each brief conversational interview features an expert answering questions concerning a fiscal topic of interest within an Iowa State agency. The following interview was conducted in December 2011. Jennifer Acton of the Fiscal Services Division interviewed Dennis Jacobs, Executive Director of the Municipal Fire and Police Retirement System, the 411 system, about how the retirement system began and how the system has developed.
1: My name is Jennifer Acton with the Legislative Services Agency. Today we are talking with Dennis Jacobs, Executive Director of the Municipal Fire and Police Retirement System, or more commonly referred to as the 411 system. The 411 system was created by the 1990 General Assembly and took effect January 1, 1992. I'm curious to hear how you took 87 different retirement systems from 49 different cities and merged them into one system.
0: The key to that was identifying from a liability perspective, identifying what the liability was for each plan as of the effective date of the transition. So you put some numbers with this. As of December 31st, 1991, our actuary evaluated an evaluation on the existing transfer liability of each of these 87 systems. We then went to each of them and said, "This is the amount that you have to transfer from the assets you had in those local systems. The amount of dollars you had to transfer to the statewide system." Therefore, the effective date of this was January 1st of 92. So for those cities who had sufficient dollars in their local plans or sufficient assets in their local plans, they transferred those dollars as of that date. For those systems, local systems, and therefore local cities who did not have sufficient dollars to meet those transition liabilities, several of them bonded for that. Some of them agreed to an what we call an amortization agreement, where in effect we carried their note or the system carried their note for a several year period and they paid it off over time. The actual transition of that liability took many months because it took quite a while to get all those valuations done and our job was of course to link the liability to the dollars they transferred, the assets they transferred as of that date. At the same time we were transitioning those liabilities we were also transferring From the cities, from their payroll people, really, and from their people who were involved in their local systems, we had them forward to us the data related to each active and retired member. And that process went on for several months. So we were, in effect, creating a database that reflected the profile of each of those 87 systems as of December 31st. Our actuary then to do the valuations took those profiles and did the calculation.
1: Was it your actuary then that determined the city's contribution rate at that time and then the state's contribution rate at that time?
0: The state contribution rate was set by law. At the time it was 3.79% of covered payroll. The member's rate was established by law, so there was a rate in the code for the membership to pay the rate for the employer is as it is now was done back then is calculated each June 30th and then we notify the cities as to to what their employer contribution needs to be. So that's done by our actuary.
1: And then the 49 cities that were determined was based on the census from that time, correct? They had to have a population of 8,000 or more?
0: Yes. Whether they had a population 8,000 or not, the key was which cities had an existing 411 system or systems one for police and one for fire not every city has both because some did not have an organized fire department but any city that had an existing civil service retirement plan or 411 plan was required to make the transition that's where we came to the 87
1: and with the name just out of curiosity it's municipal fire and police how did you determine fire before police just happenstance? You know,
0: I wasn't here when they made that decision. The Board of Trustees was created by the law that was passed in 1990. The board started meeting in 1990. They met initially for several times, in some cases several times a month, then they eventually got to a monthly meeting, and then once I was here they started meeting quarterly, but or less than monthly. Somewhere in that process they knew they had to come up with a name. That's the name they came up with.
1: Has the makeup of the Board of Trustees changed from then to now?
0: The Board was originally constituted as having four city representatives and four members and one citizen member. That composition has stayed the same, although the individual people have changed. There's been turnover. And there are also um, two state senators and two members of the House of Representatives who are ex-officio non-voting members.
1: And the legislators have been ex-officio members from the beginning? Yes,
0: that's
1: right. So as an executive director of the system, what do you feel your biggest challenges have been over the years?
0: Well, first, the consolidation was a challenge because you're dealing with records being maintained by 49 cities, and there was a wide variance in the nature of those records and in some cases the accuracy of those records. And then the transition of assets, cities were allowed to transition their securities and so we ended up with a lot of securities that don't really fit in an institutional profile that were acquired by these individual plans over the years through a variety of ways and uh, so that was a challenge getting that whole consolidation undertaken and then related to that secondly is updating those transition liabilities has been ongoing although recently it's finally started dying down but we've had a number of recalculation of the transition liabilities because the information has been provided later and so the cities have had to pay additional because they had provided us different start dates of employment than actually happened that type of thing. So that whole li- transition was one issue. I think anytime you're working with a board of trustees that's newly created there is a challenge of developing a working relationship and developing their role and the statute provides what they're supposed to do and that's been an opportunity for growth for them. It's always important to look at the investment markets. There's been a lot of volatility several different periods that have created financial losses to the plan. The most recent one of course was the 2007-2008 Great Recession. Well that's put a lot of burden on the financing of the plan and that then translates through to contribution costs for the employers. So that's a third area is is having an effective long-term investment program. I'd probably be remiss if I didn't say working with the legislature. I've done this for 30 years, both here and when I was at IPERS, and I've always enjoyed it and I always respect what legislators do but, and what they're challenged by, but a big part of it is the educational process. I always find legislators to be very interesting in what we do and uh, desiring to learn. The vast majority of them have always had that orientation. I think that's kind of what draws people to the legislature, partly. So that's a challenge. And then there are other, probably a fifth area of challenge is related to substantial growth in both federal law requirements, legal requirements, and accounting requirements. On the federal law side, you're dealing with different areas where tax laws changed and programs have been established and those have needed to be added and complied with. And then on the accounting side, under what's called GASB, GASB has a tendency to issue, promulgate, statements that governments have to comply with, and that's been true with pension systems, and in the 30 years I've been at this, it's just, there have been monumental changes in our financial reports, and in the requirements for accounting driven by GASB, and I always wonder how many people really read them.
1: Basically, the members of the 411 system don't contribute to Social Security. They don't receive Social Security so when they go to retire they have a higher payout. When the merger occurred, when the consolidation occurred in the creation of the 411 system, were those people receiving Social Security at that time And when the system was created it was decided that they wouldn't have Social Security?
0: Social Security coverage for police and fire workers in Iowa. You have to trace the history back to 1934 when. Chapter 411 was established to replace Chapter 410. Chapter 410 started in 1910, which was really for police officers, primarily. But in, in 34, the legislature established this requirement related to civil service and re- creating a local retirement system. If, if the p- local police and fire workers have civil service requirements, they were also required to have a 411 system locally. You fast forward to 1953 when no public employee in Iowa had Social Security before 53. At that point in time it was determined that Social Security was going to be available to public workers. I think that actually passed in, in the federal level in 51 or 52, but here in Iowa the legislature established Social Security coverage for public workers beginning July 4th of 53. So the question is why were police and fire workers not covered? Well, under the federal law at the time, to have Social Security coverage, you could not have coverage by another pension system locally. IPERS was created, actually July 1st of 53 was the date for Social Security coverage, because IPERS was created in 53, July 4th of 53, and the state did away with the preceding plan for IPERS which was called IOSI. So for all public workers they created this system of IPERS plus Social Security but they did not do away with the 411 provisions and the 411 statute as of that time and therefore people covered by these local systems were not eligible for Social Security coverage because they were in a local pension system. And that's carried forth all the way since and there have been court cases on that issue to confirm that they were appropriately not covered back in 53 so they've never been covered in their police and fire workers who were in these civil service systems and who are now in 411 were never covered by social security. It traces all the way back
1: to 53. In closing, what is a little known fact that Iowans would be interested in knowing about the 411 system?
0: You asked before about challenges and I should have also added the development of a comprehensive disability program because uh, 411 is not just retirement plans. Many people who work with local governments understand there is this disability provision too, but uh, I don't know that everyone when they think of 411 realizes the extent of the disability plan and it's very comprehensive. It's targeted at the work requirements of police officers and firefighters and their ability to continue in that capacity, so it's a very comprehensive program that accounts for somewhat over a third of the total liabilities of the plant. Having said that, these workers are not covered by workers' compensation, so they don't have workers' comp insurance, they have 411 disability coverage. Many people know that, but I, I think generally everyone just thinks about the pension aspect of it and not the disability part of it.
1: Thank you very much, Dennis. This has been great. It's been very informative. and I appreciate you taking the time to meet with me.
0: Sure.